Hi friends, my name is Steve, and I just came back from retreat and was trying to figure out the cryptic message on my calendar, and suddenly I remembered what it was I said I'd do. I'm one of the LDLs, and I lead East Side Insight, and I don't normally, in fact, I've never been to Sunday, and sometimes uh, embarrassment is a key part of the Dharma when one makes mistakes or, or, or just uh, our simple humanness hangs out. Right? So, um, and I'm going to talk a little briefly about the three pillars. These are very close to the, uh, is that a, a, a hand raising for a question or just a, uh, what do you got? What's, what's your question? I just wanted to say, I think that this month is about um, wisdom. Um, and so it, it, Lauren talked about all three of them last week. And yeah. I think that this month focuses on that. I could be wrong, but okay. just in case um, you don't want to cover all three or you want to focus on wisdom. Um, I just wanted to mention that. I appreciate that very much. Yeah. Cause I, thank you so much. Yeah. I just, on the East side, we more, uh, we don't follow the same schedule. So that's really helpful. Itana. No, no and, need to apologize. And I think we're all so grateful you're here. And yeah. Here. Yeah. I was kind of I was kind of going to do something like that anyway, so I'm glad because I was uh, they're tied together the three in terms of mm-hmm. turning away from uh, selfing and turning away from selfing is is what wisdom's about. So maybe I'll address it that way, uh, but touch on them a little bit and maybe expand a little bit more on on what wisdom is from my understanding. I have a a hint of Mahayana in me that sort of influences a little bit about how I how I see things, although I mostly practice in Theravada. So, um, but yeah, how how do Donna and Sila relate to wisdom? And you know, they're they're kind of tied together because and how we understand um, our, our our journey with the three of those is really how they take us away from from selfing. You know, all three of those, Donna and Sila in particular, take us away from selfing, which inherently turns us toward wisdom, toward seeing the way things are. Um, and, you know, Donna is just this uh, generosity of heart, this having an intention to benefit other beings, to be kind to other beings. And right there, you know, that because many people, many of us at times, uh, spend our lives focused on benefiting ourselves, mostly, primarily. And as we all know, that just kind of leads to nothing but sort of a dark sinkhole. I mean, it doesn't really benefit anything and doesn't lift the energy and has no expansive view, has no understanding in a deeper sense. But people, you know, whether or not they're Dharma per se, but people who really have a sense of, of generosity of heart, you can see that there's a lightness of spirit they have. You know, they're turned towards, instinctively turned towards others. I can think of some, I used to work at a nursing home and there were some very kind people there. And you could see this sort of brightness of heart. It didn't matter that they were old near the ends of their, li- ends of their lives. It was just there. And, uh, I think we can see that in our own, in our own choices. You know, the more we turn, turn towards generosity, the more that, that brightness of art arises. And then Sila, 
there's a way of looking at ethics that relates to this because you can look at the the five precepts for instance and in in each case they're turning away from selfing they're turning away from sort of adhesion to a sticky sense of self you look at the reasons why anybody would do anything that could be construed as breaking precepts um and it's there you know i mean think about not killing versus killing why do people kill they kill to win or if it's a an animal they kill because they think it's a pest or something they kill to defeat others but it's always putting the self first and stealing even more so you know people are more clearly i suppose and this gets in closer to our own lives because there's all kinds of subtle aspects of stealing or if we you know pick up the extra pen from the work storeroom back when there were storerooms and people worked at workplaces <laughs> but in any case you know if you do that you, you can feel that little flicker of you're doing it for yourself you're thinking about yourself you're coagulating self and to do the opposite is is a freedom and not lying you know it's we, we do that in order to to win something we do it in order to uh, come out ahead or to to win put himself first is why people do that and and it's a real clarifying way to look at these and the choices we make and see how it relates to our freedom see how it relates to our sense of selfing which is the opposite the opposite of wisdom sexual misconduct same thing you know someone's looking for gratification at the expense of other just sort of doesn't pay attention to to what the, the boundaries are and what someone needs and an abusive intoxicants someone's trying to you know have some experience of pleasure or free themselves from discomfort often at the expense of others so it's very self-oriented so all those all those cases it's all this concretization of self the stickiness of self that uh that drives that wheel and and the more we can frame it that way in our minds it makes it um a lot kind of simpler and clear why we would make ethical choices because the buddha you know it's not a moralistic framework it's it's a it's more of an effectiveness framework like what what helps free us what helps us on the path what brings us peace in our lives peace of heart and peace of mind so all of those um, ethical choices and and the whole area of generosity both they both are like that you know they both move us towards freedom and also a um a uh, kind of a brightness of of spirit or clarification of mind you know a lot of dharma training is about is about wholesome wholesome actions doing wholesome actions because that helps brighten the mind it helps have there be less less stickiness or adhesion and adhesion is you know it's either often it's that whole desire for things or aversion to things but those are linked to our sense of self because it's always me that wants the thing or me that doesn't want the thing so the more we can cultivate these qualities and cultivate this um good attitudes 
that it brings us more to freedom, more to wisdom. And wisdom's an interesting, interesting term. Um, and it's a little bit, a little bit tradition, tradition defined. Um, in, uh, Theravada, the, you know, the doorway to awakening, one, one way of, one very primary way of looking at it is through the three characteristics. What we see through the process of insight practice. And I, I often find it helpful to kind of touch on how that interconnects with the Mahayana view about emptiness, which the Buddha talked about. It's not exclusive to Mahayana. The Buddha specifically mentioned emptiness numerous times in the suttas. Um, and, you know, the three characteristics when we're practicing part of the phenomena that we all observe is, well, there's three things. One is that things are always changing. You know, and, and part of what drives us nuts in practice is our thoughts come popping in and out of nowhere and they vanish and they pop in again. And we have all kinds of stories we tell ourselves and things we plan and all that. But the more we can see that as just impermanence at work, the more freeing it is in the middle of that. We kind of let our mindfulness observe that just like we would observe a dog barking outside or a heater turning on and off, or whatever else phenomena, or a knee hurting. You know, it's not much different. It's not any different. The common characteristic they all share is that they're appearing and disappearing. And just to to use that, that recognition as part of their journey toward wisdom is what makes this practice so effective. And you can kind of see how the things we were just talking about, about Donna and ethics, if, if, if your mind is clear of repercussions from, uh, say, stepping over the boundaries ethically, then you can start to see more subtly. You know, you often hear of people who, in practice, especially for people who have really done some pretty gnarly things, and they spend a lot of time struggling with that and seeing that and reliving that and regretting that and up against it. And it's in their hearts and minds. So the more we can clear, then when we step into this subtler area of wisdom, we've, 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 we've cultivated the ground to be able to see, to be able to see clearly. So this impermanence aspect of the three characteristics is, you know, it's like the first one that usually presents itself. But as we kind of lower down into that or see through that, keep bringing our insight to that changing, it becomes also really clear that we can't depend on circumstance for, you know, anything. Can't depend on it for happiness, for making life work out, for, for ultimate satisfaction. It just becomes patently obvious that, you know, how could you depend on a quicksand of circumstance to find satisfaction and you just watch things arising and passing and see we see how our stories that we tell ourselves are just rooted in our conditioning they're not even inherently us you know everybody everybody here has a whole bunch of different stories they tell themselves a whole bunch of recollections and some, some yearnings probably and some mistakes and some regrets and all these things that fly around but they're just a part of our conditioning there's nothing there 
and then the things we may wish for, you know, it's like, really, I mean, where does that lead? You know, the, the most fabulous Hawaii vacation, of course, <laughs> right there, we saw with the, the tragedy there, how even that idyllic paradise, I often thought of Lahaina was like the sweetest place in the world, and now it's gone. That's, that just keeps striking me because that was, that was so amazing. So, you know, in that way, moment by moment, we see that and we see the uh, impermanence of things. And then we see the unsatisfactory nature of depending on circumstance. Dukkha doesn't mean that life is grim. Dukkha just means you can't depend on circumstance. You can't be attached to it and expect that's where happiness is going to come from. The Buddha, you know, he lived, he lived in a samsaric world just like we do, but he wasn't attached. He'd seen through it. And therefore, that was the nature of his awakening. That was the nature of his freedom. And then, you know, one way of looking at this is that, uh, the not self aspect that the third of the three characteristics, you can kind of come at them in any sequence that uh, is working for you. But in some ways, the not self one is the subtlest and the hardest for people to kind of get what it is. Um, but, you know, think about your practice. I mean, when we're sitting, probably, you know, we may have some physical, in terms of phenomena that manifest, we may have some physical pains. We may hear the lawn blower outside or something like that. And a couple, but mostly what's going on is internal and mostly what's going on is our minds and hearts. And the more we're aware of the impermanence of all those things, the dukkha of all those things, which just comes up, we just see it through insight. It's not that we have to talk ourselves into it. You know, we just see that all those, all those phenomena are conditioned all the different parts of ourselves that which we think of as self is conditioned so the because it's it's you know saying it's it's so much mostly internal and in this internal world that we're in see impermanence we see um dukkha through the very through what arises through insight practice you know, it's, it's, it, it improves itself, you know, to like make it up, it proves itself. And then slowly this brings us to this whole question of not self, which is that's, that's getting right. That is what, how do we say, it's a facet or an understanding or an aspect of what wisdom is, depending slightly on how your tradition, one's Dharma tradition approaches it. But where is, you know, where is any sense of self apart from those conditionings or apart from the aspects that appear for us. It's, it's kind of a freaky, I'm sure you've all, many of you had an experience of watching all these aspects arise and pass and arise and pass and kind of realizing that that's who you thought you were. But then once you realize that they're just conditions caused by prior conditions and completely impermanent, your sense of stealth starts to fall apart. In, in, in an inherent sense, like, where is it? And um, there's incredible freedom and wisdom here. That is what's taking us towards wisdom is just seeing through our, our concretization of things. You know, we look at, we look at life experience and we try to put it together 
into a understandable cogent sticky mass because that seems uh, a reasonable way to approach it that helps us make order out of chaos because it would be chaos if we were depending on it for satisfaction but since in practice we're seeing through that then we don't have to be attached to that anymore we can start to see how things actually are which is wisdom um from uh mahayana point of view they say that uh fundamental ignorance is misunderstanding the nature of things and thinking that there is inherent reality and a mahayana point of view which again the buddha did taught it's not as emphasized so much in theravada but it it's not just not self but all phenomena are empty of inherent existence and that's not a big step I mean, it's pretty obvious and it's right there in the suttas there's not just our sense of self is empty of all of inherent existence but all things everything is a arising passing of causes and conditions and that's that's where panya you know that's what that's what wisdom ultimately ultimately becomes and the more this just kind of nurtures in us it just uh arises in us through our practice in a natural way you don't have to push it you know it's worth doing some study if that helps you but you don't have to push it it just slowly clarifies and you look at people you know people like tim and tuare look at tuare when she's had deaths in the family there's a way in which she holds it that she knows it, it, she wasn't surprised that people she loved died you know she held it in this amazing grace and this sort of equanimity it was quite quite it really struck me you know you could see the fruit of the practice in that or these these monks you know ajahn nisabo ajahn kovalo clear mountain you know they have this quality of just they just roll through things with this kind of kind of bright happiness even uh and the kinds of conditions that we'd fret about, you know, having a broken foot on crutches to arms round at seven in the morning in January when it's sleeting down rain and 35 degrees doesn't even blink, you know, it's just, oh yeah, that. So this wisdom is freeing. And if you tie it together with, you know, the sila and the good heart, you can start to see how they're, they're of a piece and how they interconnect because and i think it's important sometimes in you know here we are in 2023 and there's some teachers that in in different traditions that have done some odd things uh ethically and stuff like that even though they had some you know some sort of seeing sometimes people have breakthroughs of of i'm gonna let the cat out now because of the nature of cats Come on, you want to go out? Go for it. Yeah, well, a lot of cats, you know, they just change their minds and change their minds, and and they're they're chill about it. We don't expect them to do any different. They sort of they know that's how they are, I guess. But I think sometimes, you know, my own long journey on the path, um, you know, I've been not not in Theravada tradition, but in some other traditions I've been exposed to. I've been, you know, had some moments of disappointment when teachers um who had a lot of who had a lot of seeing in one way 
had some wisdom one way, they messed up ethically and it completely undercut what they saw. You know, so I think that's why uh, to really work on on sila and generosity in tandem with wisdom, they are the three pillars because you, you, you can't do one without the other. And whereas the wisdom aspect perhaps is the uh, pinnacle or the moving toward uh, nirvana, nirvana, you know, the cooling of nirvana, the ultimate freedom of nirvana is in that arena of wisdom because there is nothing to be stuck to anymore. And, but to do that, the ethics has to be cleaner and cleaner. It actually becomes more of a, more of a razor's edge, you know, things that emerge as, uh, ethical considerations that we might not have thought of earlier on or prior to our practice becomes significant. We had a neighbor step on a spider the other day. We were over at his house and the spider came in and he just stomped on it. And Ellen and I were just, I mean, we talked about it later. It, my wife, we were both, it really hit us in the heart. I can feel it right now. It's like, oh man, that spider, the poor little spider was just trying to get across the bricks. And, you know, I felt, uh, this not killing the person didn't know so I'm not on his case, but it's just where he's coming from. But it struck me how subtle it gets, you know, and how that reverberated in our hearts and how that, that cleanness of, of energy, not being, not being coagulated by, um, any kind of darkness is, is, is completely needed to really open up into what wisdom is. Because how can you, you know, if it's ultimately seeing through the nature of selfing, we can't do that if we're stuck in selfing. If we're still doing actions that are about getting what our own self wants. And, you know, that's where both Donna and Sila kind of are the absolute bedrock. They're like, they are necessary. So, you know, we shouldn't ever, sometimes I hear people say, oh, that's a lower practice or that's a higher practice. I think that's bogus. You know, they're all absolutely integral and they're all interconnected and there is no higher and lower. It's because we're all in a moment. We're just in this moment and this moment and this moment. And what are we going to do? And there's a moment of kindness called for, you know, that's what you do. That's what the Buddha would do. You know, there's this great story about how, um, in the suttas about this, like, this one, he went, he went to this one monastery and I think cause a messenger came cause this one monk was sick lying in his hut and he goes there and this monk's lying in his hut covered with feces and just really sick. And he said, well, why didn't, has no one taken care of it? You said, no, they, they, they're too busy. So the Buddha and Ananda, they washed this person themselves and cleaned him up and took care of him and they went out and talked to the monks and they said, well, why didn't you take care of him? And he said, oh, it's, you know, we were, we, we were too busy with other things and probably it wasn't so pleasant. I can't remember exactly, but the Buddha said, you know, you should look at whenever you're taking care of someone like this, you're taking care of me. And so we can really see the connection of these, these aspects. So in those instances, when you're called to be kind, that is the highest practice right then. That's the doorway to wisdom right then. 
or when we're, you know, up against an ethical question. And we see, you can feel what's the dark way, what's the bright way. You know, you ever try that? You do something it's like, oh, you take a quarter to someone left on a countertop. You should have just left there. doesn't mean anything, but you can feel this little darkness, little shade going over your being, this little place where, oh, you're getting it, you're doing it for me. And that shades you away from ultimate seeing of wisdom. So these things are, we, you know, we, we got to step forward with what life brings to us on the path. And we're all, you know, lay people, so we got that. But, you know, I've been around monastics a lot and have more and more realized their lives are, they're here in bodies, they're here in 2023. I was just emailing with a monk friend of mine in Australia and he said, oh man, I've been really busy. He was like, I was sort of laughing, you know, it's like this monk, I've been really busy. <laughs> and I'm sure he's doing dharmic stuff, but it's still a million choices in there. Okay. So uh, it is 11 o'clock. So maybe we'll do, if I understand this right, we'll do breakouts for about 10 minutes. Is that correct? In groups of three. Is that what you usually do? Any nods here? Groups of three? Yes. Thumbs up. Yeah. Okay. And then I guess we'll, uh, if we get a chance to talk about these things or anything else that relates, and then we'll come out for a little discussion. Does that sound okay? All right. Hey there, Brittany. Bruce, Sean, good to see you. It's always a nice surprise when you're teaching, Steve. Oh, well, good. Good. I was, I was surprised, too, so that's two of us. Uh. Good winging. Steve, good winging, man. <laughs> What's that? Good winging. Good winging. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Oh, yeah. I think that's the uh, the best explanation of no self I've ever heard. Is that right? I can no. understand it. You've enlightened me instantly. Oh, my God. Well, that's, that's good to hear. Yeah, I've been inspired by being around the monastics because in the Achan Cha tradition, they're not supposed to prepare for talks, which is daunting. But uh, I've watched... Kovalo and Isabo and a bunch of other monastics coming through Clear Mountain, and it's incredible how they do that. I've seen a few wandering talks, but pretty much it's quite quite extraordinary. So something to learn there. Anyway, anyway, folks, um, yeah, any thoughts? Uh, is that a hand? Hey, up? I, yeah. Hey, hey Carol. Just... Oh. oh, go ahead. Uh, I, I, well, how about Carol first, and then do you have a hand up, Carol, or is that just? No. Okay. Yes, please. Yeah. So, uh, could you, could you yeah. tell people about Clear Mountain? People in my group didn't know about it. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, Clear Mountain Monastery. It's um, a uh, how do I say? It doesn't exist physically yet, but there is a uh, monk, uh, two monks, Ajahn Nisipo and Ajahn Kovalo, who are both in well, I guess uh, mid mid. They've both been in robes for 10 years. That's the critical point. That's why they're Ajans, studied in Thailand. And they're both relatively young, between 35 and 40. Um, and Ajahn Nisabo grew up in Spokane and had this idea that there should be a monastery serving kind of the western Washington, greater Seattle area. And there's Birkin up in seven hours north 
in BC and Obayagiri way down south in California and uh, the um, salmon, uh, the hermitage in I think what it is. White salmon. Yep. On the Columbia River. But there's nothing here in this big, very vibrant Dharma area. So there's, uh, that's being worked on. Money's being raised. Uh, and, uh, hopefully property will be, will happen. <laughs> so that's kind of it. And they meet, they meet, uh, currently right now, the Sangha meets at uh, 9.30 a.m. at, uh, at St. Mark's Cathedral in Capitol Hill and physically and online. And also there's a Wednesday evening uh, Zoom teaching and some other stuff. So big website, check it out. Is that kind of what you needed? So clearmountain.org. I was telling people in my group how good it is and I just wanted yeah. you to reference it for them. Yeah, and there's been a real effort, you know, both on the part of Sims and on the part of Clear Mountain to really be in harmony and mutually support each other. So I think that's been happening well and uh good 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 relations between the monks and and the co-teachers uh so that's you know very consciously because we could be tripping over each other a little bit otherwise uh yeah Kitana. thank you for your talk you're welcome and, and for practicing the the wandering monk um approach this morning I was sharing with my group and I, um, that <clears throat> I'm very grateful to be, um, looking up all three of these, but especially at uh, wisdom this month. And I hadn't re- realized until, um, starting last Sunday, I've been thinking a lot about wisdom. And for a long time, I, so I've practiced Buddhism and insight med- meditation for, um, 30 years now, and it's a really important part of my life, but it, I always felt that there was a part of me that wasn't, um, included. And I knew it was probably through my, you know, my not yet achieved wisdom, whatever. But, um, as somebody who comes from a marginalized community, actually a couple of them, um, one of the things that I found, um, challenging was that we wouldn't talk about sort of maybe the two sides of the pillars. So like with Donna, there's a lot of emphasis on, you know, making sure that you give and that you give generously, but there's many of us, um, including many female identified people who are actually, our, our challenge isn't to be generous. Our challenge is to receive generosity. Our challenge is to actually give ourselves generosity. And so when the Donna conversation or teachings were only about the importance of giving it left people like um basically people who are marginalized who are expected to give more and are expected to take less um it left it left us out on, in some ways um and so i re- i've just realized as i'm thinking about this is that sort of wisdom or right understanding has been challenging to me because the teaching sort of were very powerful for me, sort of like halfway. But when the, when the focus was, was, was sort of talking to people who had lots of agency or lots of access to resources or who had, um, that, that left out those of us who lived with food insecurity or lived with housing insecurity or lived with, you know, intimately with, with violence, you know, that kind of thing. <clears throat> I mean, it's one of the reasons Tuaria is such an, a powerful teacher for me because she is, 
you know, she knows this and she brings it into the teachings. Um, and I was asking myself sort of in terms of SELA ethical conditions, if this was true for me as well. And I really appreciated your talk today because I was, you know, I was thinking about like the example of stealing. And then I was thinking about, you know, like Hurricane Katrina, um, which was, you know, you saw people stealing just to survive. Um, and, and, and I think about living in a nation that has manufactured scarcity for the majority of its people. And so, so how do we commit wholesome acts in an unwholesome world to quote Lauren from last week? How do we recognize our individual agency as well as the fact that we are, that we are deeply impacted by the world that's been <clears throat> the samsara world, I guess, right? Like that you were saying that the Buddha experiences. And so I'm really um, appreciating this opportunity to let myself come more fully into the the Dharma and more fully into Buddhism in ways where I'd felt like invisible or exiled before. So this is really powerful and really appreciate the chance to share this with people because it has really been a barrier, I think, to my practice up until now. Yeah, and there's a lot... There's a lot packed in there. I'm sort of bowing with respect to what you said. Um, I think one thing about there's sort of a conventional and ultimate reality aspect woven through a lot of what you were talking about, because sometimes, as you're saying, people who are marginalized, the whole the thought of the way that giving can be framed, it's almost like framed in terms of someone who has a lot to give. And, and so how do you navigate that? And it, it can be too, can inadvertently become too personalized, like too much in the realm of selfing rather than transcendent. So, and we need, there's a way in which we have to, uh, dance in both worlds and see which is which, you know, and not, not, uh, be able to, yeah, to kind of let go of, um, or see through the ways that it's just disempowering or seems self-critical if we don't feel moved to give because maybe that's, maybe we need to give to ourselves. You know, maybe we need to find our own empowerment in a, in a, uh, way that's also not stuck on inherent self. So it's a dance there for sure. Um, but I, I really, I really appreciate what you say because it's, it's very true. Um, yeah. I think that's most of what arises right now, but specifically about conventional and ultimate reality. You know, I think that's really important. And I think you're nodding. So I think you, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Anyone else out there? Yeah, Marianne. In my little group, the, the topic of the sutras came up and I, I just wondered if you are familiar with this one, which has uh, popped up in my life lately, and I would like to uh, read it, but it amounts to the Buddha saying he'd uh, taught 40 years and has not used any words or not said anything. And it's the sutra on knowing the better way to catch a snake. Hmm. don't know. Where is that one? He, there's a 
translation uh, by Thich Nhat Hanh, and it's titled Thundering Silence, okay. Sutra on the Better Way, the Sutra on the Better Way, and sut- the Sutra on the Better Way of Knowing How to Catch a Snake. Okay. Yeah. I'll read it and report in. <laughs> yeah. So is there anything you wanted to share about that? Um, well, the whole idea of um, words, hmm. words getting into the picture. Hmm. Right. Too many words, uh, beyond words. Uh, beyond words, yeah. you got to see directly, that's for sure. Yeah, and it might, that might be a Mahayana Sutra, too. I don't, it doesn't seem like I recognize from the Pali, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, it sounds fine, Mahayana, yeah, yeah. because... Uh, that was what attracted me to Buddhism in the first place was to, the the idea of beyond words and and Zen. Right, and that's what insight practice is. You know, it's beyond words. It's taking us mm-hmm. to uh, an understanding of things. Of, of mm-hmm. I mean, especially not self to to or, or, or impermanence to really see that versus mm-hmm. talk about it. it's a whole different ballgame. So uh, you know, all of you at different points in your practice will probably have some. Shifts or moments or flashes. Definition of selfing. Um, yeah, selfing is, I mean, it's this weird, this verb, verb, verbization. Is that a verb? Is that a word either? Uh, but it's this English word that has sort of evolved in the Dharma that I don't think it's any dictionaries, but it's, it's when we're, uh, basically creating a sense of self. We're, 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 we're selfing. We're making a sense of self when there isn't any. So therefore we're, we're doing something. You know, we're creating a sense of self out of, out of gossamer. Um, and we're imputing a sense of self is no another way that something similar is framed. Selfing is so much more simple. So, um, you know, it's, it's really handy to, uh, I remember um, Lama Zopa had this the Tibetan teacher had these great teachings about kind of in the in the heat of the moment if you know the person you care about most has just in a moment in a moment of debate or discussion or disagreement sent you a real zinger <laughs> some some harsh thing they said that landed right in a vulnerable place in your heart and you just find yourself flaring up and ready to slam back at them right there is a wonderful place to like see the selfing at work see how you're creating a sense of self in yourself creating a sense of self in them and how those two selves are about to do battle about nothing ultimately (laughs) you know just nothing and so it uh selfies well yeah right but it really it cuts through that you know, and you really see that selfing is just a created sense of things that is binding. It creates division and and ties us in. So there's a freedom to, to step right into those moments. That's part of why, you know, any kind of, that's part of why, you know, we're, we're lay people. We navigate in the circumstance of relationship far more than monastics do, although to be sure, living in a monastery, you can't. They do too, but we have a many of us, you know, a sense of bondedness with with persons, family, or or partners, or whatever. And and right in that, that moment, 
you can just watch the dance of selfing happening, happening constantly and as an opportunity to see through it just by bringing your awareness to it. Yeah, Jean. Thank you, Steve. I just wanted to appreciate uh, verbally uh, your efforts this morning. I thought they were delightful, and uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. I uh, I learned a lot. And I want to thank you in particular for the connection between uh, using these three pillars to help us uh, understand and counteract. Uh, our own sense of selfing. Mm. Um, I just recently had an exposure to how selfing was working for me in one particular area. And uh, when the wisdom came, then I was able to see in the shadows behind it was this character selfing. Mm. Well, and so I have a new... Uh, vision of this Mara of selfing. Mm. So, uh, and and thank you for uh, letting me know that these three pillars are um, the countermeasures. Mm. And it sounds like it sounds like that uh, circumstance might have been something that would have like locked you down into wallowing or stuckness in some way, and you were able to not do that. Yes, uh, and that had been the history with this very same situation. Yep. Uh, and through release, uh, I found wisdom and ultimately the selfing. So thank you. Okay, great. Well, we're about at that witching hour, I think. Uh, is there any, any quiet persons who wanted to say anything before we go? I'll hold out for the quiet persons. Hi there, Carol, by the way. Good to see you. <laughs> and hi there, Helen. I saw you for a minute. Uh, and Ewa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's uh, center ourselves for a moment. You know, in the midst of so much strife and stuff and Israel and everything to think how beautiful is this moment of kindness and openness and wisdom that we have shared. So it's like a precious bubble of light, a pinpoint of light that we can shower across the world and dedicate the merit of this to People who may be close to us, who have pain, or have died, or may be dying, or beings, animals, but then in a broader way, to beings everywhere, humans, four-leggeds, caught in the wrath of war, or shortage of starvation or oppression, or climate change, or different kinds of physical chaos out there, and just offer this insight that helps people find freedom even in the midst of pain.
Okay, everybody, be well, and may our paths cross again. Thank you very much for your kind patience. Oh, yes, you are a wonderful saga.